0: one of you fight me, Israelites, you win, and the Philistines will be your slaves, I win, and you will be our slaves. Someone must fight him! Not you, Jonathan. The warrior who defeats him will be a rich man! Not one man in Israel! Not one of God's people! I'll do it. David. You're no soldier, you're a shepherd. Yes, a shepherd. As I protect my sheep, God will protect me. Where is your faith? Where is your God? I will kill him! Israel is found a champion. Don't waste my time, little boy. You're too young to die. I will fight you. David did it Amen, a great story, right? Well, I am so grateful to be here. Thanks for having me thanks for letting me come and speak today. Uh, Pastor Doug was so gracious to to allow me to speak and, and uh, so thanks thanks so much for having me i 'm excited about what we 're going to talk about today and uh, uh, so as some of you guys know, I'm the student director here and've i uh, been doing student ministry for Man, I think by the time you count the internships and the volunteering, it's been around 10 years. And so uh, there's a couple things you need to know about me before we start, though. One you gonna, you're going to love, but one you're going to hate. And so let's start with the one that you're going to hate. I am a Lakers fan. I love the Lakers. Anybody else a Lakers fan in here? That's right. Well, let me tell you, I'm not the only Lakers fan on staff, though. Another person on staff loves the Lakers. If you know Gary Durbin, he loves the Lakers. So if you want to talk about Lakers, go talk to him, right? Well, here's the thing you need to know about me that you're going to love. I hope you love. I'm also a Broncos fan. Any of those Broncos fans in here? Uh, a, a funny story about that. A couple months ago when the Broncos were playing, it was, there was an 11 o'clock game, and you know, after first service, I happened to be out in the lobby hanging out, and it just so happened that the game popped onto my computer. I don't know how that happened. It just did. And so I watched it. I mean, it's not that bad. I went to first service, you know, so I watched it. And, and I think we were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, if I remember correctly. And uh, there was a fumble. Uh, they fumbled and we recovered. And like I would do at home, in excitement, I screamed in the hallway because I was so excited. Well, what I didn't know is that it echoed through the auditorium on that morning. And a couple of people actually came out to me and said, was that you? I heard you screaming out there. I'm like, yeah, right? And so I'm, you know, I'm waiting for um, Pastor Doug, and I'm like, oh man, Pastor Doug is going to give it to me, right? Because I'm sure he heard it. So sure enough, after service, he comes to me, and he's like, what was that? And I I have a speech. What did I say? It's like, "Uh, fumble recovery. Uh, Nothing else I could really say. But you know what? The funny thing, the next week, we had a guest speaker and so, Pastor Doug wasn't speaking. You know who's watching the game with me in, in the hall the next week? Pastor Doug. So, he can't say much about it, right? Well, before we get started today, you guys saw that clip. Anybody see the Bible series that was on History Channel? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, as you saw, we are, uh, that was a clip from David and Goliath. And uh, what I really love about that clip is what we're going to get into today is this, that clip, I think, really did a great job portraying the age that I believe David was, and that's important to what we're talking about today. I believe that David was a teenager when this happened, and we're going to talk about that. But uh, So as a student director, but there are a few things that I've learned along the way about teenagers, some things that I thought you might want to know. So I have five facts about teenagers I think that you might need to know. If you have teens, this is good. If you're going to have teens, this is good. If you've already had teens, you agree with this. So fact number one about teenagers that you need to know, teenagers aren't actually lazy, they just like to guard the couch that's all (laughs) makes sense fact number two teenagers aren't trying to be obnoxious they're just exercising their mouths i've seen that before Uh, i love this one fact number three the closest your teen will have to a heart attack at age 16 is when they reach into their pocket and don't feel their phone (laughs) that's definitely okay Fact number four, and, and this one always gets me, right? Teens can memorize every song on their iPod. All the lyrics, all the words, you, teens, you know, have them yet, right? And, uh, but when it comes to sitting and, and doing that test at school, they got nothing. I don't get that, you know, how they can get all that, right? Fact number five about teenagers, and this is on cleaning their rooms. So if you're a parent of a teen, you had a teen, you get this, right? This is teenagers on cleaning their room. It includes 20% complaining. watching TV, 60% texting, and 10% more complaining. So again, not a whole lot of cleaning being done. Well, um, today we're going to be talking about teenagers, and and they're great, aren't they? Are teens great? Anybody love teens in here? Teens are awesome, but you know, they're in this weird position, in the church you got to hand it to them right they're in this strange position they're not quite children anymore they're not yet young adults and so they're in this weird place in the church right and and the church loves their children we love the children right we love them they come and sing for us on sunday mornings and they're so cute and cuddly the little ones and as they start getting older we're like oh they're growing up and and look at they're getting smart but then something happens to these kids And it's called puberty, all right? Puberty comes in and it hits the church like a freight train. The zit makes its first appearance, right? The voices start to crack a little bit. Remember that? Yeah, the awkwardness sets in. And no one knows what quite to do with this once cute, cuddly little child, now this awkward, smelly beast. No one knows what to do with them, right? And so a hundred years ago, no joke, a hundred years ago a church in Alabama figured out what to do with these strange humans we call teenagers, right? They figured it out, right? So they first they identified all the teenagers in their, their, their group, they identified them, right? Then they gathered them all, herded them all in, gathered them up, and they put them in categories, right? Categories like don't take showers, categories like boy crazy, or you eat so much that uh, you're going to eat me out of house and home, things like you care more about the way you look than the air you breathe. And so they put them into these categories, right? So They had them all identified, and then they threw them into this concentration camp they called a youth group, right? And that's how youth ministry began. But see, that wasn't the hard part. That was the easy part. The hard part was finding a guy to run this group, right? And so they had to reach into that congregation, be like, who in the world is going to work with a 7th grade guy, right? So they had to find a guy that, eh, you know, he knew something or rather, but there had to be a certain level of insanity that ran through this guy's blood to work with teenagers. And so that's what they did. No, but we love teenagers here at the Orchard Church, and, and we value them here. But you know who else loves teenagers? Jesus. Jesus loves teenagers, he loved teenagers, and contrary to what many people think or may know, the, gospel, the, the, the disciples we read about in the Gospels, they were teenagers. They were teenagers. And Matthew, check this out, in Matthew 17, Jesus, Peter, and his disciples, they're in Capernaum, and they're traveling around and doing their thing, and they want to go into the temple, okay? So Peter goes up to the temple guy, he kind of collects the temple tax and says, hey, we want to get in or whatever, and he goes, that's fine, where's your temple tax? So Peter goes back to Jesus and says, hey, we got to get this tax. we got to get this temple tax. What are we going to do? So Jesus does this awesome miracle, right? He sends Peter out to this lake. He says, get the first fish you see, reach into its mouth, and grab some money out. Grab some money out, and, and that'll be it. And it'll be good for me and you. Now, he says, me and you. He doesn't say, me, you, and the rest of the disciples. He just says, me and you. And so when I read that, I was like, well, why? Is he not including them? He said, get the tax for me and you. Well, the thing is he didn't have to include them. Because in the Old Testament, there was something called the tabernacle tax. The tabernacle tax morphed into the temple tax. And what it was, is anyone 19 years of age and younger didn't have to pay. 19 and younger. And so this is the same tax we're dealing with, okay? So we're looking at Peter, Jesus, and a bunch of teenagers. So if I'm putting this together right, I'm reading this right, Jesus is walking around with 11 teenagers... One adult volunteer by the name of Peter, and it looks to me like Jesus is the first youth pastor, right? <laughs> That's right. So Jesus loved teenagers, and you know what? He actually took a group of teenagers, and he used them to change the world. And so today, we're going to be talking about the empowered teenager, and we're going to be looking at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's David and Goliath. We've, we've heard it. So if you would, turn in your Bibles, if you have, uh, or your mobile devices to First Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 17, we're going to be beginning in verse 32. And if you have a Bible that you came in and got here, it's on page 120 uh, in that Bible. And so while you're turning there or mobiling there, uh, let me just prep the story real quick about kind of what's going on as you saw in the video. Israel is, is up against, um, they have their first king, Saul. They're up against this army. The only thing that, that's standing in the way of defeating this Philistine army is this monster of a man, this giant of a man named Goliath? And this guy was a train killer. He knew what he was doing, right? He would come out every single day and taunt Israel and say, You can't beat us. If you do, we'll be your slaves. But if we beat you, you'll be our slaves. And he's taunting them and scaring them. And in Israel, they were scared, they were terrified. They're absolutely terrified. And so this is kind of where we pick up. And then a a young man by the name of David shows up. And this is what happens, right? In verse 32 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says this. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, the, the Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. And this is what I love. And then Saul says this. He goes, go and the Lord be with you. And so I love this comment because it's almost like David's kind of pleading his case and Saul just like, he has no other options at this point And he's kind of like, all right, kid, good luck with that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Go for it. Better you than me, right? And so I love how the, the message version of the Bible puts it. It actually says, go and God help you, right? That's kind of the, the Christian term for good luck with that. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where Saul's at. And so um, a couple months ago, we were uh, playing a game. I think we got a picture. We were playing a game where students had to paint their face with peanut butter in fuel, and they had to, other students had to then drop M&Ms. Uh, this is youth ministry, I'm telling you, it's a concentration camp. And they would drop M&Ms on the, fa- and the team that had the most M&Ms stuck on the kid's face with peanut butter won, right? And so I come up with these games in my mind, <laughs> and I laugh like you're laughing now, right? But when it actually happens, it is way worse than it ever was in my mind, you know? I get out there, and I'm like, woo. God help you, kid, is kind of what I'm feeling. You know, as they're painting their face, I'm kind of like saying, better you than me. Good luck with that kind of thing. And I felt like Saul a little bit in that moment when I'm watching them as they're starting to sweat and it's glistening off their face, right? I felt a little like Saul, you know? But that was Saul's response to David, right? It was almost like, I got no other option, so go for it, man. It's all you kind of a thing, right? And so David goes after this giant. And if you know the story, David runs out He gets this rock, he sticks it in his sling, and he goes out and he slings this rock into this giant's forehead. Now, our video was kind of a cute rendition of what the Bible actually said happened. It didn't just bounce off and give him a bruise. The Bible said that the rock sunk into his forehead. All right, it's sunk into it, right? And, and so David goes and he, he kills this giant and he cuts his head off. I mean, this is like rated R imagery, but this is in the word, okay? So he goes in there, cuts his head off, and you know, that's it. The Israelites win. They, they defeat this guy. They're free. They win, and uh, the other guys run. But I was, when I was studying, because I've read this story so many times, and, but this time when I was studying and looking, I had to ask myself the question. Because I'm looking at David. I'm looking at his life. And I ask the question, well, why wasn't David, David in the battle? If you read previous to where we started, his brothers were fighting, right? He had other brothers that were probably going to start to fight. Why wasn't David in the battle? It surely wasn't for a lack of zeal. I mean, really? I mean, this guy was all over, right? It's not that he couldn't fight. I mean, how many of us have killed a bear and a lion? I mean, he was ready to rock, you know, and he wasn't scared, I mean, he ran right out there and killed that guy, right? And so why, you know, why wasn't David in the battle? The only real answer that I could come up with is that he wasn't old enough to fight. Is that David wasn't old enough to fight. And, and uh, when you look at uh, the book of Numbers in chapter 1 and also in chapter 26, it said that you had to be at least 20 years of age or older to fight in battle. You had to be at least twenty and over to fight in battle. And according to first Samuel seventeen, where we were earlier in chapter or in verse twenty four uh, twelve and fourteen, David was the eighth son of Jesse. The eighth son in the line, right? And the three oldest brothers were at battle, the Bible says. So we know that they were at least 20 years old. We know that, okay? And so let's just assume for our purpose this morning that the fourth son down the list, okay, let's just assume that maybe he wasn't fighting because of, maybe he didn't make the age gap, just for our, for our purposes, right? So he didn't make the age gap. So what would that put him at? 19, right? So he'd be 19. So if we go down the ranks a little bit here, You know, let's just say we separate the 4th, the 5th, the 6th, 7th, and the 8th by a year, year and a half. Okay, let's just say for now, that would put David, when you go down the ranks, that would put David at about age 15, maybe even less. But we can't go down too far because in the rest of the story, and I encourage you guys to read the rest of the story, David actually goes up, he says, I want to fight this beast, I want to fight this guy, and Saul actually gives him his armor. And Saul was a tall guy, but David put it on. He actually wore it, the Bible says. And the Bible never says that it didn't fit him. It just said that he wasn't used to them. David said, I can't go out like this. I can't fight in these things. I'm not used to them. But he was able to wear them. So it wasn't like he was a little kid. So when you put all this together and you really start looking at the facts here, this giant Philistine warrior was defeated by a teenager. Some of you have teens in this room. Imagine your son going against Shaquille O'Neal, right, and beating him, right? I mean, that's what it's like. He did it. The warriors of Israel wouldn't even approach this guy. When the dust settled, he was struck down by a kid. And let me tell you why I think this happened the way it did. This is in your notes to start it off. David did great things for the Lord because he was empowered by someone. David did great things for the Lord because he was empowered by someone. You know, while Israel saw a roadblock, something that could not be defeated, something we couldn't get over, David saw a speed bump. David was confident. He was confident in himself. He was confident in the Lord. And he was ready to be used by God. He just needed to be empowered to do it. And one of those things that I feel like Saul did well is that he empowered David to do this. Now, he might not have known he was going to do it. It might have been kind of a last second thing, no other option. But nevertheless... Saul empowered David to do this task. I mean, after all, David couldn't just go out there and do it on his own. He'd have to ask permission, right? You, you couldn't just go walk out there. I'm, I'm just like Saul. I'm going to do my thing. No, he had to approach Saul. And Saul said, all right, go ahead, do it. And so, what I, you know, one of the things I think that we can learn from this is that if we empower our teenagers, great things can happen. But the unfortunate thing, church, is that oftentimes we don't. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want to look at a few reasons why we don't empower our teenagers, okay? And so real quick, I want to go back to our text in verse 32 and 33, and we're going to camp here for a second, right? And I want to just kind of highlight this again. It says in verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth and he a man of war, from his youth. You know, in this story, I see three issues that I think Saul faced that could have stopped him. It didn't, thankfully, but could have. It could have stopped him from empowering David. And sometimes we as parents and, and those that have had teens in the past can understand this, right? We face a lot of these same issues. The first one that I see that, that, that Saul faced that could have stopped him from empowering, empowering David, and this is in your notes, is that Saul doubted and underestimated what God could do through David. Saul doubted and underestimated what God could do through David. You can't do it. You're just a kid. You know, if you were a little older, if you were a little more experienced, if you were bigger, if you were a fighter, these are the kind of things that were going through Saul's mind, right? Let me tell you something, church, this morning. Our teams will do nothing great as long as we tell them they can't. They will do nothing great. If we sit back and worry and say, you can't do it. You know, when I first started youth ministry back in college and uh, I was volunteering, my youth pastor that was, I was serving under and, and volunteering for came to me one night and he was like, you're teaching Wednesday night. My jaw dropped and my knees started to shake. And I'm like, Mike, I really appreciate it, but you got to understand, I, I don't, I don't like to do, speak in front of groups. I don't know how to do it. I've never really done it. I'm not really, I had nothing really good to say. (laughs) I'm coming with all these excuses, right? And I'm like, I just can't do this. I'm not comfortable. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't say, you know what, Jared, you're right. Why did I waste my time? You can't speak. You have nothing good to say. I'm sorry I wasted your time. Don't even worry about it. You know what he did say? He said, oh great, cool, you're teaching on Wednesday. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, here we go. So I got prepared, I studied, I did my homework and uh, it was a 13 minute devotion for like 17 kids, right? And so I'm sitting there, I get up to the stage that night and my knees are knocking together and, and I will never forget this devotion that I gave. I used this clip from Indiana Jones because it was my first message. I was so nervous, but I gave it and it was awesome and God used it. And from that day forth, I was like, I wanna do this, I wanna teach. This is so cool, you know? And that was what it was, but you know why? Well, thank you. <laughs> One person. Uh, I really, pray. can I meet you after service? I'd like to meet you. Uh, but you know, it was cool because, you know, my youth pastor empowered me. He empowered me. He didn't let my excuses get in the way, my lack of experience. He just didn't care. He's like, you're doing it, you know? And he empowered me. You know what? Because he empowered me, great things happened. That was my, began my my passion for teaching, began my passion for students. Because he empowered me. But we can't let that get in the way like Saul because he doubted and underestimated what God could do through David. And so the second thing that, that I think that Saul face that could have stopped him from empowering David was this and this is in your notes number 2 Saul thought that the feat was far too great for David. He thought that the feat was far too great for David. He says, and Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. He's saying, this dude is huge. He's ex- he's an experienced fighter, he's a trained killer. You can't do it. You can't win. It's far too great for you, David. It's just not possible. You know, when we start to feel, guys, we start to feel that the feat in our teenager's life is far too great for them to accomplish. Let me tell you something. We leave God out of that picture. We leave God right out of that picture. When we just go, you know what, you just can't do this. We're basically saying, God, you can't do this either. And that's exactly what Saul did because he saw an invincible giant. He saw a giant that could not be beaten. So you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter who approached Saul with a plan. It could have been this amazing plan to defeat this giant. It didn't matter who approached him. It could have been a warrior. It could have been another giant. It didn't matter who approached Saul with a plan. However, if Saul's faith was in God, it wouldn't have mattered who approached Saul with a plan, right? Amen? Because if Saul's faith was in God, he would have seen a teen with the power of the living God in that sling ready to do a God-sized task, right? But Saul thought the feat was far too great for David. And you know what? It almost, it almost kept him from empowering David. The last thing that uh, we see that Saul faced, really, that could have kept him, and this is number three in your notes, is that Saul let fear dictate his faith. Saul let fear dictate, and this goes out to anyone in this group right now, no matter what the circumstance is. Saul let fear dictate his faith. See, Goliath was really scary. I, you know, without a doubt, he was terrifying, he was big, all right? The only thing I can compare it to is maybe uh, Robert Rowley back there fighting uh, maybe Shaquille O'Neal, okay? That's the only thing I can, maybe a little guy fighting Shaquille, that's the only thing. So it's scary, right? He was very, very scary, no doubt. But the problem is that Saul let his fear overshadow his faith. And again, this goes out to all walks of life, for all of us. Saul let his fear overshadow his faith in God. And you know what? That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Because you know what? When life gets real and life gets scary and we're faced with situations that are scary and are hard and we don't know what to do with them, it's hard to say, God, I just give this all over to you. I'm just going to let go. You know, it's hard to do that. We want to take the instinct of hiding or fighting or whatever we got to do other than give it to God. So I'm not going to say that it's not a hard thing to do. And empowering our teenagers to do great things for God can be very, very scary. But my question is this. Do you have the faith that it takes to empower them, to truly empower them when life gets scary, when life gets real? Do you have the faith that it takes? Saul let fear dictate his faith. Now you might be saying, you know, well sometimes if you have teenagers, sometimes my kids, I love them, this is all great, Jared, but sometimes they come to me with these grandiose schemes and these huge plans and ideas and they're about as realistic as a, Maybe as a kid beating a giant. Yeah, maybe you're right. Here's the danger in not empowering our teens, and this is in your notes. Here's the danger of not empowering our teens. When we don't empower our teens, our teenagers, we keep them from their potential in the Lord. Let me say that again. When we don't empower our teens, we keep them from their potential in the Lord. Now, that is a scary thing when you think about it. When we stop them from doing what God wants to do, we keep them from their potential in the Lord. Parents, we have a responsibility. If you're a parent of a teen in this place, we have a responsibility with our teenagers in this church. If our teens are sitting on the sidelines of their faith, we need to step it up. Parents, if our teens are involved in everything in their lives but church and but youth group, we need to step it up. You know how many teens go to this church and are not involved in fuel? A lot. And those are your kids. You know, we just dedicated our our daughter, Adalie, on Mother's Day. I think I got a picture of them. Uh, And we dedicated Carson, too, uh, when she was her age. And part of dedicating my children meant this, that I would empower them to the best of my ability. That would empower them... To do what God has called them to do. To be what God has called them to be. And you know what? That shaped my life. That shaped my prayer life for my kids. Right? You know, I'm going to be transparent. I'm a little embarrassed to say this. I was embarrassed when I was with Gary and and Barry going over this message to say this. But I'm going to be transparent, okay? The first thing I ever prayed for my son as far as what he's going to be. Okay? (laughs) This is embarrassing. Okay. But I was like, Lord, would you make him a professional athlete? okay? And I know I'm not the only dad that's prayed that for their son in here, okay? Right? But I did. I, I said, Lord, would you, would you make him a professional athlete? But you know what? As I um, began to pray for my son, I, got, I saw him get older. God started to shift a little bit of how I prayed for him and how I, and I, I prayed about him and his future. And you know what? I, I, God started challenging me and saying, why don't you start praying for what I might want him to be instead of what you might want him to be? And man, that really changed me and how I prayed for my son. And so, you know what? Maybe God isn't calling my son to be a professional athlete. Maybe he's calling him to be a Kansas City Chief. I don't know. (laughs) Sorry, Chiefs fans. (laughs) No, but you know what? The point is, is that my prayer life for my kids should be, God, how can I empower them to be great for you? How can I empower my kids to be great for you? Not, how can I empower my kids to be great for me and what I want? How can I empower my kids? God, teach me, empower my kids to be great for you. And that's what my prayer life has shifted toward. We have a responsibility, church. You know, maybe you're in here and you don't have teens. And I'm going to talk about you guys in a second, okay? You're not off the hook here, all right? (laughs) Maybe you don't have teenagers. Maybe you're going to have teenagers soon right? Maybe you're, you're, you had teenagers and they're all grown up and they have teens or maybe you don't have kids at all. But you see them. Week in and week out, you come in here and you see them not up here, don't you? You see them back there, don't we? We see them back there. This is my question for you guys that don't have teens. Are you praying for these teens? This is your church. This is your family. Are you praying for them? You see them every week. Are you praying that they, have, they would have radical quiet times with God, that they would collide with Jesus on Wednesday nights? Are you praying that they would be explosive in their schools and, and, and changing the lives around them? Are you praying that the, your youth group would explode? Or do you just see them and say, oh, that's just a teenager? When we don't empower our teens, we keep them from their potential in the Lord. And you know what? As a dad, that's one conversation I don't want to have with God. Look what your, could, look what your kid could have been if you just didn't underestimate him. Look what your kid could have been if you just believed that the feat was far, not too great for him. Look what your kid could have been and if you didn't let your fear dictate your faith, dad, mom. That's one conversation I don't think any of us want to have with God. So how do we empower our teenagers? How do we do this? Because they're there. And you know, we all have a responsibility in this. and We're going to talk about that. The first thing, how do we empower our teenagers? The first thing is we have to love them. We have to love our teenagers. And you know what? That might sound obvious. If you're a parent of a teenager, that might sound obvious. But let me ask you the question, especially if you have a teenager. When was the last time you said, I love you, dear kid? My dad passed away a year and a half ago. And at his funeral, I challenged dads. And I said, it's never too late for you to say, I love you to your son. My dad was never afraid of the awkwardness, of the manliness, or whatever it is, to say, I love you to his son. He was never afraid to say, I'm proud of you. I heard that till the day he died. I'm 30. I heard that. I heard those voices in my head. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna venture off of this for a second. If you have a son in this room, I just feel led to say this. And you're a dad, whether he's 30 or 50 or 10, you have no idea what those words do to your son. They establish a foundation of trust and security and confidence in a young man. I see students come through my ministry without dads. And my heart breaks for these kids, These breaks for these young men because they don't have that father to say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And it shapes who we become. It shapes who we are as men when our fathers tell us that. And so I'm sorry I had to deviate, guys. I'm sorry about that. But if you're a father, don't stop telling your son that you love him and that you're proud of him. Moms, don't stop telling your daughters and your sons that you love them and you're proud of them because you know what? That empowers our teens. That empowers our kids. When your teen knows that mom and dad believe in me, there's not much they can't do. We gotta love them. Second thing in your notes after that, we gotta love them. Uh, We have to support them. We have to support them, and you know, part of being a, a father and a dad or a mom is that we have to guide our kids away from doing what's wrong, you know, and, and what shouldn't be done, right? So we don't want to support everything they say and everything they do, but you know what? We need to point out the things that they do well. We say, you know, you did well in your game last week, or, you know, you did, you're you're extremely good in school, man. You're acing all your tests. How are you doing this? You know, we need to point those things out. We need to, we need to uh, support the things they aspire to become, even if it's like, maybe they don't land there. You know what I mean? But it's not, it's not unrealistic as long as God's in the picture. We need, we need to support them in that, right? When, when Mom and dad, when you're behind your teen, great things happen. Great things happen and we have to support our teens. So we have to love them, we have to support them. And the last thing that we need to do is that we have to trust God. You know, as crazy as it might sound, God has a plan for your teenager. (laughs) He does. He has a plan for your teenager. Trust that God has a plan for your teenager. And you know what? One day, one day, that plan is going to start to be revealed. And you might not recognize it right away. Maybe you will. But when that plan starts coming around, go with it. Go with it. Because God is in control at that moment. As scary as it might be, trust God. So, you know, I, to wrap things up today, I've been speaking to um, primarily the parents of teenagers, okay? And that's kind of the umph of this message. But you know what? There's more to it than that. Maybe you're in this, in this place and you don't have teens. Maybe you've never had kids or, or your teens are all grown up or you don't have them yet. But let me tell you something. You're not beyond becoming a part of empowering the kids we have here. You're not. This is our family. This is our church you're not beyond empowering these kids for greatness. Let me tell you something, guys. We need leaders in fuel. We're growing. We're seeing God do amazing things in our youth group. And we're going to be starting a new, an opportunity in the fall for our kids. We're going to actually take middle school and give them their own night starting in the fall. and high school, their own night starting in the fall. And what's great about this, we really feel like our groups are going to grow because of this. Because they're going to have their own identity, their own place to be, their own friends, that sort of thing. You know what? We got to double our leadership team to do that. We got to double it. We need leaders. We need people to say, "You know what? I'm ready to get in the trenches and empower teens to do great stuff." I'm ready. We need you. We need you. You know, if maybe you're not like the kind of person who you know wants to be there on Wednesday nights, but guess what? We have a lot of young families helping out that have children. We need babysitters. I know that sounds crazy, but we actually have some ladies that meet, and when they come, they, the babies hang out upstairs in the ministry uh, center. And, and while we're doing youth groups, some of our young moms and, and dads can put their kids up there. We need babysitters. We only have a few ladies. We need more. So maybe you're like, yeah, I can do that. I can watch kids for an hour and a half. We need that. We need a strong rotation of ladies that can help with that. We need prayer warriors. Maybe you're just like, you know what, I can't do that. I'm not free on Wednesdays, but you know, I will commit to praying for you guys. That's more than anything, Right? Nothing happens without prayer, right? We need committed people praying for our ministry. Would you consider being a part of our goal to reach, relate, and reproduce teenagers by empowering them for greatness? Would you do that? You know, and if you're interested and you're like, yes, I want to be a part of that, come see me right after church. I'll be outside out front. Come talk to me. We'll get you set up. We'll get you going. If If you're interested, please come see me, all right? Let's bow. You know, some of you have experienced what it feels like to be empowered by someone in your life. You've felt that. But let me tell you something. There's no greater sense of empowerment than to live for Jesus. There's no greater sense of empowerment than living for Christ. But let me tell you something, church. We can't live for Christ if we don't have a relationship with Christ. We can't. And you know what, with a room this size, I'm confident to say that there might be people in this room today that don't know Jesus, that don't have that relationship, and you know what, we can come to church, we can do all the great things we want, but we're still sinful people separated from a holy God. We need a savior in our life to take our sins away. And so if you're in this place today, in, in this room this morning, and, and you know what, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that you can I want to tell you something church we are separated because of our sin the Bible says we're separated from a holy God for eternity it doesn't matter what we do or say or think we can do because at the end of the day you know what we're still sinful we're still separated from God and we need a savior and so God said I refuse to spend eternity without you so I'm going to do something about that so God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty we deserve that was far too great for us to pay and God says in his word that all you have to do is believe on my name and you'll be saved it's not what you do it's not what you think it's not what you can accomplish it's a gift you take so if you're in this place this morning and you want to say you know what I choose Jesus today I'm done doing life on my own I'm choosing Jesus I'm going to pray real quick and you can pray this prayer in your heart to God he hears you he knows you and you can pray something like this you can say God I'm a sinner and I know that now And I believe, God, that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. And that he rose again, proving he was God. So Jesus, I ask that tonight, today, that you would forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean as snow. Jesus, come into my life. I trust you this morning. If you made that decision today with all heads bowed and eyes closed and no one's looking around right now but, but me and just we're not going to embarrass anybody if you made that decision today I want to pray for you this morning would you just slip your hand up and you can put it right back down if you made that decision today to trust Christ would you just slip your hand up and just put it right back down anybody this is awesome father thank you so much God that you came to redeem us you came to save us Lord, I thank you for the parents in this room that have teenagers and that are crazy and they don't know what they're doing and none of us do. But God, would you teach us as parents or soon to be parents, would you teach us how to empower our teenagers to do great things for you because you're just waiting. Would you, empower, would you teach us how to empower them, Lord? Would you be with those in this room that don't have teenagers, that they would, they would start to get a heart for the teens in this church, that at very least, actually it's very most, that they would start praying. So God, we, we give this over to you and we thank you, Jesus. We, we look forward to seeing what you're gonna do in this church, what you're gonna do among our families and in this youth group. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.